It's a mini Dying Alive reunion here on the Locked On Penguins podcast as the Athletics' Jesse Marshall joins us. We're going to talk about the power play, the future, and more right after this. Your Locked On Penguins. Your daily podcast on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back, Penguins fans, to the Thursday edition of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Patrick Damp. You can follow me on Twitter at synonym for wet. Joined as always by the one and only Hunter Hodes. You can follow him on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. You can follow the show's account at LO underscore Penguins. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your best bet of $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. And as I said in the intro, it's going to be a fun one today because my old pal, my old co-host from the Dying Alive podcast is joining us from The Athletic, Jesse Marshall. Jesse, buddy, it is so fun to get to do this again. How you doing? Doing well. It's a shame we couldn't peel Mike Darney's corpse off of a luxury exotic golf course for 20 minutes uh, <laughs> to get a full trio here. Love you, Mike. But uh, no, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, riding a bike, right? Yeah, it's it, just like we were doing way back in the before times when we had our little podcast dying alive. So no use in uh, delaying it or doing any niceties here. We all know what everybody wants to talk about with this Penguins team, and that is the power play, which at last check is 31st in the National Hockey League by percentage. So, Jesse, you have always been one of my go-to X's and O's guys, even when we were doing shows together. So what in the hell is wrong with this power play? I think they need to junk the system, man. I think the, the mainframe's got to go. Um, yeah, I think as as time has has gone on, and and it, like from the time, think about just we'll think about it from the time Mike Sullivan's taking his job, right? So twenty fifteen, December twenty fifteen, to present day, almost over that entire decade, the penalty kills in the NHL have only gotten significantly more aggressive. Uh, not only in how they forecheck at your breakout but how less time they afford you to sort of establish yourself once you've crossed the blue line with possession. And Pat, you know, like there's generally a timer, right? From a coaching perspective where you'll say to the guys like, Hey, you have X number of seconds after the pucks in to stay aggressive. And then you're going to peel back and go box, right. Or whatever the case may be number of passes. I mean, there can be a number, any, any, the marker that you want to give it. Um, I just, I just think noting how aggressive these penalty kills play and how they fan out and they get on the puck running this style of umbrella with no middle threat, like no threat, like I'm going to use the James Neal example, no no James Neal threat in the center of that umbrella. It makes the system kind of stinky, right? I mean, that's just at the end of the day. If you're an aggressive penalty kill and you got a two, three-man pressure, you can bump all the Penguins' exterior four of their umbrella up above the circles. And you can keep them there for like 10, 20, 30 seconds and allow them to just sort of like pay play patty cake amongst themselves there's just no you you know you have to create below the circles odd man situations on the puck you have a numbers advantage so in any every situation if you're in the corner half wall you should have at least a three on two against the penalty kill and in a numbers battle right they just there's no connection between the top and the bottom on this power play right there's no working it in the middle like i said that middle threat is non-existent Nobody has to babysit there from the penalty killer's perspective. 
So like they don't even waste time with that space. They just fan out. And that pressure just pushes and pushes and pushes. And then you've got four players at or above the top of the circle with no threat. There's no cross-ice threat in that situation, right? You have no lane. So, you know, what? when they get their, their best chances on the power play this season have come off shots that have created rebounds or off of like three-on-two zone entries because they gave up a shorthanded chance and came back the other way and got like a really good look. Like, those are the, like really, that amalgamates – where they're at and they, they, they're sixth in shot rate. They're sixth in expected goal rate with the main advantage, but they're shooting at 8%. And I, I just think it's because, and you could go on Micah's website and look this up, right? Hockey Viz has a shot map. Look at the glut of shots that are coming from the right-hand side of the ice above the circle. It's arguably darker and larger than the one that's coming from the front of the net. And that's, I mean, that just says it to me. So I, I've said this all year. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter waste, in my opinion, waste their time arguing about personnel. Uh, I don't care about personnel. You know, you could put Pat's sister on a power play and it wouldn't make a difference in the structure because I think at the end of the day, they don't, it's, that's, that's what's preventing the scoring chances from, I don't want to say scoring chances, from the pucks from going in the net and from the quality being there to drive that shooting percentage up. This isn't bad luck, right? You watch this power play, you know, it's not bad luck, right? There's like a, there's a failure happening here. And it's not even that they can't gain the zone. They do that fine for the most part, right? Like that's, some days are better than others, but I, you, know, you don't point at that and say, like, well, they're not getting zone time. They're getting zone time. They're just not fruitful with it. So that's my thing. I think you got to scrap it. I've said this a thousand times. I love a 2-1-2, right? Because if you can get two forwards at the net posts, divide the, divide the offensive zone in half, let each one take a half, right? Then you got your – and in my opinion, this is very clearly Jake Gensel. You put Jake Gensel right smack in the middle. Now you've I – mean, is there a more elusive forward right now, like in the national, like he is doing it as better or maybe as good as anyone else is plop him right down in there. And then I don't care who you put at the point. I literally, it doesn't even matter at that point. I don't care. Malkin, Latang, Carlson, pick one. doesn't make a difference that you're, you've already changed the focal point from being up to low. That is, that is, that is the goal of this is to shift everything down and to get more around that net front area. And I'm sorry, but Sidney Crosby on the, on, on the corner, is a, a threat that I want every single time we have a man advantage. That, if I was a coach, I would want that every single time we have a management. I want 87 walking it out. Let him make the decision. I mean, there's a, is there a better passer in the league right now? Probably not. So anyway, that's my diatribe on the power play. Thanks for subscribing. Um, don't forget to tip your waitress, all that. It just feels like they don't ever want to change systems, no matter just how bad this unit has been this year. And I feel like that's only going to happen unless they fire Todd Reardon. And I don't think they have any inkling of doing that, which, you know, Pat and I have discussed that on the show a lot this year. We think he should be fine. We think he should have been fired quite a, a long time ago earlier this season. But I feel like as long as he continues to have this gig of running the power play and especially being an, an assistant coach on Mike Sullivan's staff, I just don't think you're going to see some of these systematic changes. So, I mean, if you don't, for example, throw this in the trash, is there another potential solution to getting this unit back to even being just average this season? You could load them up with shooters, you know, put a young guy like a Pustin in out there um, and a couple other guys. That, just that was working me, a little bit. I'm not Let them rip. Working, but, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, and I've said this, another thing I've said a thousand times, when you shoot, and this, I'm not suggesting that the Penguins' problem comes from a lack of shots because statistically that's not the issue at all, right? The volume and the attempted volume especially is there. Uh, and I think by test even you could say, 
it doesn't seem like they're necessarily deferring when they have shooting up, but they just get trapped up ice. So uh, that being said, when you shoot, you force a reaction, right? People have to leave their assigned position to retrieve that puck or to at least push you to not have an easy retrieval. You're drawing the defense out of position. And I think the Penguins just aren't doing enough of that. I, so I don't, I, frankly, I don't care what means they use to do it. I mean, you want to change the system or you want to shoot more. Like you just got to start drawing the D out of where they're supposed to be and allowing them to dictate the tempo and the pace and the way that the power play is going to be executed. Um, you have to be in control of that. And, you know, again, one way to do that is to keep them on their heels and, you know, keep whipping pucks at the net. And you and I kind of briefly discussed this a little bit uh, during the Florida game, Jesse, about you you played the clip on Twitter of Malkin and Carlson at the point, just as you said, playing patty cake. And I said, like, to me, what bothered me most about that wasn't so much them playing patty cake. It was that after Malkin gave the puck back to Carlson, Carlson was kind of moving to find a lane to find something. And then the other four guys on the ice were damn near standing still. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not going to completely change this system, if you're Todd Reardon and you're saying this is the system we're playing, this is the power play we have in place, we're sticking with it. Eventually, these guys have to find a way to create something because it feels almost like it, it, before they made their first unit changes at the end of the Florida game, that a lot of these guys are just going to the place they're supposed to be and staying there. They're not trying to force any mismatches. They're not trying to force any odd man situations. They're going to where they're supposed to go and stay there. And do you at least see that as like a possible quick fix of like, hey, little more urgency, little more, little more movement, and maybe we can turn this into something? Yeah, I'll give you like the perfect example, Pat, is Dallas. Watch the Dallas Stars one day and just watch their power plays. It's the same umbrella as the Penguins but it is infinitely more successful. And it's, again, I'm going to go back. I, I'm beating a dead horse here, but they have that presence in the middle of the ice. You have Jason Robertson on one side, you have Rupe Hintz on the other, but then there's a man in the middle that they're not, it's not a dummy, right? They're going to look at him, but they want that cross ice play. That's what they want. Slot to, you know, from, from half wall to half wall, going across one timer, make the goalie move end to end. That's what they're looking for. But, you got to pick and choose as the penalty kill what you're going to do in that situation because you can't cover both the one-time options and the man in the middle really all at the same time without lanes getting created. So it's like you zone up against it almost, and they still pick it apart, right? They pick it apart, and all of it is, all of it is off-puck movement, right? Rope hints himself isn't really, when he's distributing it, he's not really doing a lot, right? Like, like he's like taking a very slow stroll. You know, I, we used to talk about this, Pat, the Kessel walk. I used to call yep. it right where you come from the high zone and you walk the puck in. Hints will do that, but he's either going to rifle it because no one's covering him, go slot and get a quick one timer, or go east west and get a quick one timer. Like the option, and the reason those options work is because everyone who's not Rope Hints is moving. They're all moving. Yeah. There's a guy driving the net to take somebody with them. The guy on the offside is coming up ice to drift away from the play. Somebody's moving around the front of the net and looping there to draw a defender with him. Like you look at it, it's like all, it looks like a watch ticking, right? All these different parts are moving and working. So uh, it, it's this, but structurally it's exactly the same. The only difference yeah. is like we said, the penguins have taken that guy out of the middle and moved him along the wall and don't have that presence there anymore. Yeah. And that's, that's really the biggest thing to me because you know, the talent is there, you know, these guys have the ability, but they're just kind of, standing still the way I put it 
to to go into almost boomerish language is they're playing like they're entitled to goals. Like they're going to come out and say, we're a unit with four Hall of Famers on it. You're just going to lay down and score or let us score. And that's going to be that. And then they're surprised. But that's going to do it for the first segment. When we come back, we're going to talk to Jesse more about this team at five on five and what this team's potential is in the long run. But first, we have to tell you about our sponsor, and that is FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl to all of those who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. Uh, I love Super Bowl Sunday, the food, the company, the game itself, all of it. And when you have a team like the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, you know there's going to be a ton of bets, especially when it comes to offense. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the National Football League. We're back here on the Thursday edition of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Patrick Damp, joined as always by the illustrious Hunter Hodes, and we are still joined by the one and only Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. So first thing I want to get into, Hunter, with Jesse, because I know that he has been raving about it, and so has so have we, so has all of Pittsburgh, but at age 36, Sidney Crosby, still in the discussion for one of the best players in the world. Jesse, what have you seen from Sid this year that, just has him still operating at this pace. Yeah. Uh, I have a little something, something coming out next Wednesday for the athletic. Uh, it's going to have a very video rich dive into this exact question that you've just asked. Uh, he, I, th- I think look across the entire, like people be, clip this to make fun of him if you want, I don't really care. Look across the entirety of the national hockey league and look at the tape from this season and find me a player better in the boards and, the, and in the battle areas, of the ice than Sidney Crosby. It's like it's like his old, it's like our old buddy Colby Armstrong always says he's the most elite fourth line grinder that's ever played. He's making mincemeat of people in these areas, and he's coming away with almost every single puck. And I think that like when you look at the data and you say, "Oh wow, like here's a guy controlling 58 plus percent of every single shot and scoring chance that comes on the ice while he's on the ice," um, that's insane. First of all, that's nuts. Uh, that's really crazy. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's, you know, raw scoring aside, you know, he's like what 23rd, I think in raw scoring or something like that. Um, and he won't win this probably he's not going to win the scoring table, right? That's, that's off the table, but at his, at his age and at the rate he's controlling the game, like that deserves, I think some recognition for me, the stats behind this run are insane. Uh, I also think that as time has gone on and I've got some examples of this that I'm going to show in the video, but I, I, we, we never really talk about similarities between Mario Lemieux and Sidney Crosby because they're so stylistically different and have always been, right? Um, and there's never really been a time where you could sit down and compare and contrast them. But where I think they're aging the same, and I think what, what they really supremely have in common as they grow older is this ability to like have this sort of um, – um, what's the name of that movie? Uh, Almighty, the guy with the uh, – you know what I'm talking about? Bruce Almighty? Bruce Almighty. Yeah, it's like it's this Bruce Almighty ability to like manipulate the tempo and the flow of the game, right? Um, 
get lost. It, 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 and you know what I'm saying? We burst into the zone at 100 miles an hour, put the brakes on, come back and and, and, and redraw the defender to you. These slight changes he makes on zone entry to tempo, to speed, um, have a tendency to draw all five defensive players to him. And and he can sort of magnetize people. Uh, and I have like this series of freeze frames where Crosby's in the middle of doing something and every single player on the other team, including the guys on the bench, are staring at him. <laughs> so like you've got like Ricard Raquel or like Brian Ruster, Jake Gensel, just out there having a time, you know, like operating as if somebody's pressed pause in the game and no one else is on the ice. And I just, that's such a stark memory for me to like when post Lemieux comeback, you know, when he was, you know, towards the end of his career, even some of that time with Crosby where the two intermeshed, that was what his entire game was about. It was almost like hypnotizing the other team and doing things from a, a timing and spacing and tempo perspective that put all eyes on him and sort of commanded the, the game at even strength. So it's been fun to watch that trend, that like old man transition happen again. Right. Um, and I, I think vision and distribution have always been two of his biggest strengths, but those senses have only gotten better, right? They have not, they've not plateaued, right? Where like his speed might have here, like other other elements to his game, you know, have leveled out, like his, his hockey sense and vision and puck distribution abilities, you know, they continue to grow stronger by the day. So um, it's, 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 I, this will, I, I'll, I don't care what happens with this team, like necessarily or whatever. I just think from a fun perspective, like the from perspective of me having fun, I'm having so much fun watching this. Like, I think it's been a blast. Like, you know, I think all of us told people this is probably going to happen, but I think it's happening at a level that I didn't even probably expect all that much. Um, but like, you know, him cracking 90 points at 36 would be um, probably one of my favorite hockey memories you know, <laughs> when it's all said and done. I mean, he's making plays with the puck on his stick that he was making. I mean, when it was 24, 25 and the fact that he's still doing it now at age 36, I mean, that spin a Rama pass in the Montreal game was probably, I think the best play he's made all year. And he's had probably 15 insane plays all year already. And even the deflection goal against Arizona about a week and a half ago, that was tremendous. And this all goes back to just overall heading into the trade deadline, how I think overall upset I think he would be if this team were to trade Jake Gensel because of the season that Sid is having right now. And just based on what the return we saw from Elias Lindholm on Wednesday night, where in my opinion, I think that's just magic beans from Jack's Beanstalk beans for the most part outside of Andre Kuzmenko. That trade alone just tells me that they probably should hold off on trading Gensel because that's probably the type of your return you're going to get from him. And while it's okay for a team like Calgary, who I do think needs to rebuild a little bit and I guess move some players out. I don't think it's necessarily okay for the Penguins who are fully in it to win it and the core is playing at a higher level than their core is. So just based on what the level that Crosby is playing at and where this team is in the playoff race, I just, most of me just can't really see this team moving on from Gensel at the deadline. I know a lot of fans out there are like, oh, you don't want to lose him for nothing. Well, I understand that. This team is probably still going to be in the race at that point, and I'd rather just go for it and try to get a playoff spawn and then see what you can do with the contract after the season rather than just punt on the season at the deadline where you're probably still in the race and just give up. So that's where I think I'm at at this point. Let me ask you two a question. Has Braden Yeager changed your perception of what life post-Crosby, Malkin, and Latang will look like? 
not no, not no. a ton. I I think I think it shows. So hold on, hold that... on, hold on. Is one more Braden Yeager going to do it? No, probably no. not. So that's what you're going to. You know, you're probably getting that for the first rounder, right? Like, let's let's just be frank. Like, you're you're, <laughs> you're probably going to be picking somewhere between fifteen and twenty, right? In that range, maybe like you know, I don't know, maybe thirteen to twenty at the worst, and you're going to get another player just like that, probably. Maybe yeah. you hope you hope that's the best case scenario, maybe, right? Like you get you get a similar player. My point being is like I hate this phraseology soft rebuild, right? I I cannot stand it. Because like don't tell me that a first round and second round pick from this season change your fortunes in the apocalypse era of the penguins, which is coming down the road, right? We know it's all coming home to roost. There's no denying it. You can't get away from it. It's gonna happen. No, it does not. Does keeping Jake Gensel Improve your ability to double down on what you said you wanted to do when you brought all these people back. Yes, it absolutely does. Unequivocally, he's one of the best forwards in the game. So for me, there's just like nothing I'm going to get from like a that's going to appease me to think that the post Crosby, Malkin, and Latang era is going to be anything but a disaster. You need more than two picks to really like. I I don't think people appreciate or unappreciate how bare the cupboard is organizationally for this team. You guys know Owen Pickering is my boy. Not looking so hot this year. (laughs) 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 I gotta think about that one a little bit. And like, I like Braden Yeager, but you have to understand also, he's not the same player. He was like, he's completely reinvented himself. And we don't even know if this is going to work. We don't even know what position he's going to play yet. Is he a center or is he a wing? We don't know that. He's probably not going to be ready next year anyway. Well, no, three years, dude. Yeah. Yeah, So, But my point being is like, there's not a whole lot going on here, right? Organizationally. So you can't just say one or two pieces is going to right the ship or make the, 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 the flooding stop. It's just, it's, it's, it, we're beyond that, that point, right? Like we're not salvaging this in the middle of like, you know, just getting rid of, you've made your current situation worse and you haven't changed your future situation. That's what the result of that trade would be. And I know people say, well, you don't want to let them walk in the summer for nothing. Well, it's not nothing. You're getting cap space. Yep. And that's, that's, that's right. right? It, that's the most valuable asset really at this point in this era of NHL hockey, but that will do it for this segment. When we come back, we're going to do a quick last segment with Jesse talking about this team's ceiling and where we think they can go the rest of this season coming out of the all-star break. And we will talk about that right after this. Welcome back to the Thursday edition of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Patrick Damp, joined as always by Hunter Hodes. And joining us today is Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. So as I said right before we ended the second segment there, we all know where the Penguins sit right now. They're about five points out of the playoff spot. They're fighting to get in after missing last year. They've been consistently inconsistent is how I can put it for this season. So Jesse, what do you think this team's realistic ceiling is this year and how far can they go post all-star break i'm trying to like live in the fact that they are so good metrically right what really stinks this team up is how bad they are at finishing and that's not a top six problem really right like second line it is a little bit yeah like riley smith's not not necessarily been great on that second line role when he was there um, Malkin's had some cold streaks, I think overall been fine, but the scoring's come and gone and his line mates have changed a lot. So I don't think he's, you know, that, that into his defense, the point that I'm trying to make is they need more scoring in the bottom six. I feel like we're beating the same drum. We were beating 12 months ago, right? It's the exact same drum, but to Kyle Dubas's credit, things were so bad 
right? That it would have been really hard for him to have us not beating that drum again right now, right? Like maybe we're beating it harder than we think we should. Like, you know, I think, I think that's fair. And I think like, you know, for instance, like a Noel, Noel Char hasn't done anything, right? Like not, has provided almost nothing of value uh, at all to this team and even strength. There's a lot of characters like that, right? And I think like as the season's gone on and the Pustinans have come up and you've, you've Drew Connor has sort of like settled in a little bit and has been more, I think, effective off puck. That's helped immensely. Lars Eller has been great, I think, um, for the most part, you know, especially defensively more, more so than anything. Um, but there's just not enough punch down there. And I think the Penguins finishing sucks for two reasons, their power play and their bottom six. So if you could just address one of those, Right. And, give, you know, you don't need to go out and swing for the fences like we're beyond the days of the Marion Hosa trades. Right. Like that's those have come and gone. You need to now tinker and try to find a way to get more effective play out of some of those guys that are playing contributing roles. And if you can get a think about how different this team is with the, you know, the, the extra occasional chip in goal from the bottom six, you know, once every other game um, that changes the whole the whole fortune of this group. And going off that, Jesse, do you think one of the answers to the bottom six would be down in Wilkes-Barre with Sam Poulin or Jesse Pugliarvi, or do you think they would have to go out of the deadline and get a forward? I mean, I've said on this show, someone like Anthony Duclair from San Jose makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's been a really good goal scorer, or at least a decent goal scorer throughout his career. Pat has been beating the Sean Monaghan drum out of Montreal, even though he's probably going to cost quite a bit the deadline, though I will also laugh if someone trades a first for him, actually. So do you think someone like that would have to come in and give this team more of an umph rather than a couple guys down in Wilkesbury, who I know a lot of fans have been begging to get a call up and Pat and I have said on the show that we think they would maybe deserve it. But I think also at the same time, I'm not sure how much I would expect because we've seen players come up from Wilkesbury this year. They've looked good to start like as a horn out like Pustin, but then they've kind of fallen back off. So that's what I would be scared of if Poulin came up or if Pujarvi was signed to a contract. Cause of course he's on a PTO down there. Yeah. Adrenaline, you know, generally does wonders for people on their debuts for like a couple games. You can ride that way right. and then like come, kind of comes crashing down after a while. But um, I don't think so, man. I just don't. I, and I just going to make it sound like I'm disrespecting Sam Polian, but like I just don't know how much better he is than some of the guys that we've seen this year. You know, Frank, I, I'm being honest. You know, I think credit to him. Like, how do I word this? His economy of motion looks better. Right. Like, I think he gets, especially laterally from point A to point B, a lot better than he used to. And I don't think, like, you know, I used to, the hill, the hill I used to die on with him is I don't think he had the skating. And I think, like, the, the blooms off that take a little bit. I think he probably could hang. But I just, you know, I think that's a big bet, Hunter, right? To say, like, ah, this is the guy that'll fix it. He's, you know, there's no, there's no, like, standard to compare it to. Right. So I, I, you know, and with the JP thing, like, I, I, I'm ex I've been excited to see what he's been doing. You know, I, that injury um, was such that, like, I felt the very way I felt about Mark Pissick when he signed it. Like, there's this is an, a really tough thing to come back. Like, Achilles, hip surgeries, like, these are really, like, brutal injuries. Um, but he's look. I think he's, like, got a little bit of burst down there. Like, you look at some of the goals he scored last weekend. Um, he was moving. So, again, big bet. You know, like how much better is he going to be than some of the guys you've seen? Um, I'm not, you know, I think functionally, um, you know, they both fit, I think, the system to some extent. I, I, you know, I question, you know, on the four checking side, like whether they'd be getting caught up ice a little bit or not. But um, 
I think I think they've got to go make a they've got to go make a hockey trade, right? Where they can take some of the the bad that they've that, that hasn't not bad, but the stuff that hasn't worked out for them, and parlay it into something else and give it another go, right? Like let, let, keep the door keep the revolving door spinning um, until you until you can't anymore, right? So I think there, there's usable and gettable parts out of there, guys, that you can get uh, from somebody you already have on the roster. And do you think this team? will run the table or run the gauntlet, especially in March. Do you have them making the playoffs at this point after the all-star break? I do. And let me, let me tell you why I, I think, well, number one, the top line has been so good. Like let's start there. We've literally seen them drag this team across the finish line to at least a point or two uh, n- n- uh, more times than we have, have fingers on one hand so far <laughs> I think in the last like two months. Right. So like, I'm not discount. I'm not ever discounting a team that's got Crosby operating at 60% um, possession and, and and scoring chances. That's nuts. Um, I do think they're going to make some kind of change. I don't think they're going to sell Jake Gensel. I think they're going to make some kind of functional change to the way that this team works, either on the defensive side or in the bottom six. That's going to give them a little bit of a bump. The bump, hopefully, they need to to cover up some of these holes and these warts that they've had. Um, their goaltending, albeit a bit inconsistent as of late has by and large been good. And if that should, con- I don't even want to say it, if that should continue, <laughs> um, you know, that has been a big driver for a lot of the points that they have this year. Um, and that we've, we've always said if they could just get average goaltending, right. They can, they can make the most out of the rest and they've gotten it. So for the most part, so um, I think they'll get in. I don't know. That's just my idea. Uh, I feel like uh, they've got the parts to do it. I would be, I would be literally beside myself if they, if the power play didn't experience a moderate improvement to some level, just by happenstance, <laughs> like, just by like the butterfly effect, right? Like I, I feel like they have not even had an ounce of PTO go their way on the man advantage so far this year. And I just don't think that's an 82 game disease. You know, like I, th- th- it, it's almost, I, again, I'd be flummoxed. I'd lay on the floor prostrate if it, if it went on all year. And, it, and there's, that's where, to me guys, that's where the missing points are, right? Like it's, they're right there, right? And the old uh, math used to be, I don't know how if this is updated much from a couple years ago, but one, three goals is good for a point in the NHL, statistically speaking. Right. How many power plays they go at 12? <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm mean, we really do you think 12 is I think that's a good number to start at. Four points. Where does it where now look at the standings with the games in hand they have and add four points to where they are right now? How different is that look? Right. It'd be like, one point out and threatening to take fill take over Philly at three. Yeah. yeah. One so, point out with four games in hand. Yeah. That'd be that's a much different scenario. So uh, it's a tall task, but I think the I think ultimately they will. I just can't see us not enjoying like some at least a slight taste of Sidney Crosby playoff hockey this year, right? Like that is what I would really like to see is him at this level in the postseason. And what does that level look like? God, I tremble to think like what you know what other switch he's got lingering around that he could he could flip for that time. And so should the rest of the NHL should it happen, but. Jesse, man, appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join us. And uh, floor is yours here for a couple seconds. If you want to let people know where they can find you and your work and just let everybody know. 
Yeah. Uh, so general NHL commentary takes place at McKeansHockey.com and Penguin specific commentary taking place at The Athletic. And then uh, occasionally you can catch me with my pal Dmitry Filipovich over on the PDO cast doing some manner of video analysis there. So um, and in between that, uh, I watch we watch a lot of Peppa Pig. Well, we we appreciate it, man. It's always fun to get a nice little dying alive reunion here on the show. But that is going to do it for this episode. Hunter and I will be back tomorrow. We're going to do a little all-star preview to finish up the week. We thank you so much for listening. For Hunter Hodes, I'm Patrick Damp. This has been the Locked On Penguins podcast.